0: Our scripture text comes from Luke's gospel uh, this morning, Luke 14, verses 25 through 33. Uh, It is a challenging word from Jesus, uh, but it is in the context uh, of a collection of parables in Luke's gospel known as the parables of grace. Uh, So with that in mind, I invite you to listen uh, for this challenging word to you this morning. Now large crowds were traveling with him. That's with Jesus. And he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So, therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A hearty thanks be to God. <laughs> Let's pray together. Holy God, may the words of my mouth, and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable. In your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The poet uh, Mary Oliver once wrote that attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion. And as it turns out, Jesus may have said it first. Kind of. These two parables that he tells here are about the value of attention to our spiritual life. Jesus says that we will need to pay attention in order to follow through on our commitment to follow him. He compares this decision to a builder who first considers whether he has all the necessary materials for a project and to a king who first has to consider whether or not his army is large enough to go into battle. The, the point is pretty straightforward here no one who desires to become a disciple of Jesus will be able to follow through on their decision without first paying attention to what it demands. And so, attention is the beginning of devotion. And yet, most of us live in a state of constant partial attention we live in an age of perpetual distraction. We call it multitasking. (laughs) But it is really just switching from one thing to another, which means that nothing really ever gets our full attention. And then there are these little wonderful computers that we carry in our pockets all day long. And like Frodo with his ring, we think that we have the power to control them. (laughs) But when we use them, we are left powerless. These devices, they take our attention. They tempt us to give away our attention all day long to people and to products and to problems that frankly most of the time are not worth it. The 24-hour news cycle alone is designed to prioritize whatever is the most urgent, whatever is the most viral, instead of whatever is the most good and true and beautiful. In 2016, two reporters from the website BuzzFeed decided to, to live stream on the internet and experiment to see how many rubber bands they could put around a watermelon before it exploded. Maybe you were one of the three million people who watched this live over the agonizing 43 minutes and 686 rubber bands that it took to blow this thing to smithereens. And you know what, if you were, no judgment. The experiment itself was interesting. For example, I didn't know that it would take 700 rubber bands to blow up a watermelon. But the comments were really interesting, as internet comments usually are, revealing even. One uh, commenter on the live stream wrote, I've been watching you guys put rubber bands around a watermelon for 40 minutes. What am I doing with my life? (laughs) Can you relate? Maybe you haven't spent 45 minutes Watching some dumb experiment on the internet, but I imagine that you have your own version of distraction during which, after some time, you wonder to yourself or anybody around you what am I doing with my life? A few years ago, there was a tweet that went viral which said, There's a guy in this coffee shop sitting at a table, not on his phone, not on his laptop, just drinking coffee like a psychopath. Which is the perfect summary of our age. Distraction is so normal nowadays that anyone who can just sit still for a minute stands out like a sore thumb. The Book of Common Prayer invites us to confess. We have attended to those things which we should not have attended to. And we have not attended to those things which we should have attended to. And there is no health in us. And there is no health in us. So two questions worth considering together this morning as we reflect on this text. Why does Jesus ask us to pay attention? And how do we do it? How do we do it? You might get the idea that Jesus wants us to pay attention to the demands of of being a disciple, uh, to kind of weed out the uncommitted, right? Like the first week of football tryouts, it's going to be tough, and Jesus wants to make sure you're prepared. He wants to make sure you've read the, the fine print. By the way, I've, I've actually never been to the first week of football tryouts. Sorry, uh, this Texas crowd, thought you'd get that. <laughs> and that's certainly one way of thinking about it, right? Traditionally, this passage has kind of been interpreted that way. You really got to count the cost, it's not going to be easy. But there's another reason, maybe, that Jesus wants us to pay attention and I think that that is to help us recognize our default setting. To help us recognize our default setting. The reason that Jesus tells the crowd that in order to follow him they must hate their families, take up their cross and sell their possessions, is that our natural default setting as human beings is to place all of our worth in our identity, where we come from, who we are, our status and power, and the basic kind of comfort of our lives. That's how we measure who we are. So to really get the full effect of what Jesus is saying here, we kind of need to pay attention to what he said right before. Like I said, this this challenging word comes in the context of a, a slew of parables that Jesus tells, these parables of grace. And the parable that he tells right before this section, before he turns and warns the crowd, He tells the story uh, of a great banquet, uh, which is a story of an eccentric host who throws this big party, and he invites all of his powerful and wealthy friends to come, except all of them are too distracted with the affairs of their lives to come, and so they don't come. And so he invites the poor and the outcast, the marginalized, the disabled, to come instead, and they filled his house. The parable is meant to convey that these conventional attachments, comfort, success, power and status, they often hold people back from the life that Jesus offers. While those who have nothing jump at Jesus' invitation. It's precisely because they think they have nothing to give, that they have the capacity to receive. The novelist Leslie Jamison says that we have to learn to pay attention because we're not always aware that grace has arrived. We're not always aware when grace arrives in our life, are we? It doesn't always arrive the way we think it will. Sometimes you want one thing, and you get something else entirely, and only later, maybe years later, do you realize that it was grace all along. That's because grace is the experience of the world getting larger around you and you getting smaller within it. That's what grace feels like. You're not in control. Our natural default setting leads us to believe that we can control the outcome of our lives, that we make our own way, including with God. But grace doesn't work like that. So Jesus invites us to something different, to a life made possible by grace, but this invitation comes with a warning. If you're not paying attention, you will miss it. You will just completely miss it. It has, of course, always been hard for people to accept this invitation that Jesus offers, to have the right knowledge of ourselves as sinners in need of grace and of God who willingly gives it to us. Uh, It's probably, I don't think, it's not harder to be a Christian today than it has been in human history, but it is unique. It is unique. About 25 years ago, uh, the Catholic theologian Ivan Illich wrote that Christians today have a historically new task. We are removed, he said, from those things, water, sunlight, soil, and weather, that were made to speak of God's presence. Right? If you read the Psalms, you realize all of these things that uh, reminded David and the other psalm of, of god 's presence. this is why whenever you go to the mountains of Colorado or you see a sunset or you stand at the shore of the ocean, you feel alive to god 's presence in wholly new ways it 's not because God is more in Colorado or at the beach it 's just that you 're not as distracted by the conventions of the modern age, and you 're willing to pay attention in those places so illich says That we have a historically new task as we are more detached from those things that were meant to remind us of God's presence. That now today we, we have to find God's presence in new ways. And we have to recognize, he says, how our senses are continuously shaped by the artifacts that we use. He says they're charged by design with intentional symbolic loads, something previously unknown. He was writing this about like TV, right? He wrote this before smartphones even existed. So we have a a constant uh, kind of attack on our attention, a pull on our attention. And if faith begins with our attention, I guess the question is how do we pay attention to the grace of God in this new age? In addition to the means of grace that we have, like scripture and the sacraments, the church community, what are some habits? That we might practice together. Before we get into these, let me just say that I don't really feel all that qualified to be up here talking about attention. (laughs) I was trying to write the sermon all week long, and I was very, very distracted all week long, all week long. I am not an expert on this. I am, like, not very good at it at all, actually. But these are three habits that I am currently trying to practice in an age uh, of distraction. And one is very practical, and the other two are a bit more philosophical. So let's start with the practical one. Um, Turn off your notifications. (laughs) If you wanna pay better attention, turn off your notifications. I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. Um, Your cell phone is designed to interrupt you. That's, That's what its purpose is. It's calling out for your attention. And the notifications on your device inform you that you haven't used it recently. And so it wants your attention. And I'm not suggesting that you need to delete Facebook or Twitter or whatever you use. You don't have to delete it. Those purity tests usually don't work anyways. But when you turn off your notifications, what you're doing is you're taking control about when you want to engage your phone, right? It's super easy, again, this is very practical. If you have an iPhone, you just go into your settings, notifications, you will be shocked at how many apps you are being notified, right, to pick up and use. It's like you do not need to know when it's raining in Georgetown. (laughs) Do not get interrupted in a coffee with your best friend to know that information. Just turn off your notifications. I promise you, it will improve your life. Second practice, uh, befriend boredom, befriend boredom. Uh, When I was a kid, the absolute worst thing I could do was tell my parents that I was bored, right? My dad would say, there's no such thing as boredom, John, just boring people. (laughs) (laughs) My dad was a minister and once when I was feeling brave in high school, I sarcastically replied, You've obviously never had to sit through one of your sermons. (laughs) We're fine, we're fine. (laughs) The fact that I am now preaching a sermon to you about attention is how I know God has a sense of humor. (laughs) And further proof that we're not always sure when grace will arrive in our lives. Learning to pay attention to God's grace in our lives is not something that we can do without being prepared to wait, and sometimes for a very, very long time. This was true for almost every hero that we read about in Scripture. They had to wait, which means that we will have to get comfortable with boredom. And I actually think that this is a really good thing. In a world of incessant distraction, a little boredom could go a long way to improving our attention, and to opening us up to interruptions of grace. And by the way, Wendell Berry wrote in um, Jaber Crow that he has had some of the greatest breakthroughs of thinking during some of the worst sermons. So I'll lay that out for you as well. (laughs) And I'm not saying you should aspire to be a boring person, just that when the boredom comes, and it will, it will, Maybe make a habit of not reaching for the most available escape. Third, prioritize connection over content. Prioritize connection over content. If you want to expand your attention span, prioritize connection. We live in a a content-rich time. And I'm not saying that it's all bad. I actually love it. I love all the content that's available to us right, just on our devices, the articles, the essays, the, the shows, uh, the scores, the conversations we can have, the different recipes we can find. I love all of it. Uh, and I know that at times it's enriched my life. At the same time, the vast amount of content that we have at our disposal has diminished our capacity for attention, and primarily because it doesn't demand anything of us. It doesn't demand anything of us. Uh, A couple weeks ago, my wife, Abby, found me on the couch, watching a show on Netflix, while simultaneously scrolling through Twitter on my phone, not paying attention to really either of them, right? Because I didn't need to. And she looked at me and I looked at her and she was like, you good? It was both knew that it was her way of saying, like you're kind of ridiculous right now, like go for a walk or something. If content diminishes our attention, it's connection with other people that will enhance it. When we connect with another person, right, when we sit across from them for a meal or for a conversation, we make a commitment to them. We have to be present to them. We have to listen to them on their own terms. We have to seek to understand what it is they're trying to tell us. And we have the chance to pay attention to who they really are beyond the identities that perhaps we might reduce them to, or they might reduce themselves to. So if you want to grow your attention, if you want to increase your attention span, spend more time connecting with people. Prioritize it. Mary Oliver was right. Attention is the beginning of devotion. I think that that is where our faith begins. Are you paying attention? Jesus wants to expose your default setting, and he wants, you to, he wants to invite you into a life made possible by grace. But you're going to have to pay attention. And if you don't know where to start, try turning off your notifications. Befriend boredom. Prioritize connection. See what happens. Who knows? You might see grace when it actually arrives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.